podcast, the only book club podcast that 100% has 100% certainty that we would not be lessened or corrupted by a Coca-Cola sponsorship, Amanda. I think we're ready. Can we take it on? Mm-hmm. I think I think so, yeah. Unlike other venerable institutions of the world and of the global game, Coke, we're, we're here and we cannot be lessened by your sponsorship. We're here. <laughs> We're listening. We are prepared to be paid. And again, we believe it will not dilute the quality or ruin the kind of appeal of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, Coca-Cola and books, right? Like, man, yeah. I love having a nice cold Coca-Cola and, you know, just sitting out on a sitting out on a deck, got a book in hand, maybe some sunglasses on. How refreshing mm-hmm. would that be? It would be, and so sweet, too. Sweet as the books that we read. That's right, and if you're not feeling for sweetness, have a Coke Zero. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Have an ice-cold Coke Zero. I don't know what the voices are they do anymore. Uh, If you have no idea why we're talking about Coke advertisements ruining things, apparently, that is because (laughs) you are in a book club episode for the, I guess, essay collection, we'll call it. It is called Soccer in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Guyano, and today is our second book club on this book. Uh, We are, as I mentioned the lightly literary podcast you can follow us on social media accounts at instagram and facebook under that handle it's all one word so check us out there that's where we post promotions and updates for the books and basically keep things on schedule at least as far as i can make it work (laughs) uh fingers crossed i'll catch up soon Anyway, uh, book club episodes are our deep dive episodes. These are our analytical spoiler-filled episodes. So if you think you're listening to this one in error and you have not read Soccer and Sun and Shadow, um, we're going to be spoiling the entirety of it today, as much as a spoiler can be said for nonfiction. So (laughs) I I don't think we've ever fully wrapped our brains around how we want to talk about spoilers for nonfiction. It is odd. But that's what we'll be discussing. We've finished the book. Today's part two, so the entirety of the book is up for discussion. We will primarily be focusing on the second half, of course. That's where most of the analysis will be. But yeah, if you don't want to hear talk of the book, you can pause this now. Maybe go check out our recommendation or something else and come back when you've read it. Or if you're here for the spoilers anyway and you just want to hear us chat about the book, then you're in perfectly the right place. Um, Any content warnings you could think of for this half, Amanda? There's a lot of talk about racism um, in the game and in soccer and international soccer but there's no racist language yeah there yeah i mean there's some mention of uh violence at the hands of dictators but i mean there's not nothing really gory either so yeah that is true there's also political like dissenter like yeah crimes and stuff mentioned i I don't know if any of that'll come up frankly i again don't think i chose a section with that in it i know you chose one so definitely worth mentioning um okay yeah no real heavy content warnings then for this half with that said amanda should we dive in yeah let's do it so i think let's do it the same way as before i'll go you go um to be clear to the reader And if you've read, you know this, but the essays in this are super brief. Most are a page long, some maybe two to three pages. And so we we each just selected three that we wanted to talk about. Obviously, there's in the back half, maybe like 80 or 90 of them, something like that. And so we're just going to pick three that we each thought was especially meaningful or worth discussion. And that's how we're going to do it. So we'll kind of go back and forth and spread our analysis out that way. That's how we always do essays or short stories. I'll go first. I'm going to start with Pears from an Elm Tree. So this is the only one I chose for what I would say is like negative critical reasons. Um, Obviously, we're always critical and just thinking critically, but this was one that I just wasn't 
sure what was happening or it kind of gave glimpses of something I thought maybe would have been a better way to do it. Anyway, Pears from an Elm Tree is basically a summary, as far as you can get one from him, of what makes a soccer player great in his eyes. And unpredictability is high on that list. Creativity and unpredictability and sort of players that don't look or conform or behave as perhaps they're supposed to behave. And so then he, he looks at that through a summary of a couple players like Cruyff, who's who's Dutch, um, Nestor Rossi, who I think is Argentinian. No, no, he, he might be... Pele's Brazilian, just a bunch of different players. So all over the all over the place. So I guess here's the concluding paragraph. Let's start here. He says, he concludes with, The Colombian Carlos Valderrama has warped feet, and the curvature helps him hide the ball. It's the same story with Garincha's twisted feet. Where is the ball? In his ear? Inside his shoe? And so it is kind of a silly, and there's, a, on my book anyway, there's a little picture of like a gnome dancing. <laughs> and so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's meant to be kind of a playful childlike appreciation almost or interpretation of this game and those questions are almost teasing and childlike in a sense and i get that he's filled with glee over them i guess i just wonder does it need to be more delicate or something like i know garincha for example had like significant physical like difficulties and granted it didn't hold him back from playing and he would make the case and made him better for his you know uniqueness but it i just wonder is this where some of his style comes up short because i just don't think a casual reader would fully appreciate like the lengths to which it affected things i don't know and so it just hit me as kind of it was one of the only times i felt like oh this is just shallow like it's not even he didn't even draw a really interesting bit of language from it it's just kind of like a very shallow discussion of something that probably deserves more consideration that's a good that's a good question um well on the the next page right which continues the Mm -hmm. the thought oh no it does you're right i read a middle paragraph sorry not the ending yeah (laughs) that's fine but the the final paragraph and the the final final paragraph has a few more people yeah and it seems admiring but yeah the i mean i appreciated that it taking into account the other essays writings musings whatever that he had um included in in this collection before i knew that he was that he admired these players. Yeah. Um, but if this were to be taken out and just like read by itself, I, I probably would be like, what am I even reading? Especially considering, so there's the two pictures. So the one that you mentioned, which is like the dancing dude with a dunce hat. Yeah. And then on the, the last, last page, it looks like a reference to the munchkins from wizard of Oz. Right. Like, right. It kind of looks like, this is all silhouette art too um so it could be i mean it's almost he's i think that he meant for it to be playful but it is kind of demeaning yeah and it's it's on a line and i think i mean yeah you're right this is the the trouble with non-context based or or removed from context based quoting i it's definitely effusively positive you know (laughs) and we know that because there's so many other essays about these people and how much he admires them and love the game that they played or love the way they played the game i mean but even Mm -hmm. here even within it i just again kind of thought to myself there's some there are some fun similes too he calls some of them the flea um some of it's also some of some of it though is also just him recalling nicknames not him inventing language right 
It's yeah. not his. He's just calling them their nicknames, which are fun and interesting. And the guy called the ventilator because he can just outrun everybody else. I've coached a few players like that myself um, who are always nice to have on a team. But yeah, it just felt like it was, again, shallow. And it, when you're broaching on a topic that's maybe even a touch more sensitive than just, hey, let's admire this great game I love and instead talk about like significant um like obstacles overcome or, or even yeah disabilities that have been dealt with and handled and things I, I don't know it just it was one of the only ones where I just thought like he's not doing this justice like I'm not even sure this helps or is it's not creative enough to be worth it or something yeah and it it seems like and and this is I think pretty common in in the writing that's uh, collected here anyway that there's a lot of just listing and maybe like mm-hmm. If there is something descriptive to show his appreciation for someone or something, it's extremely short and just included almost in the list. So it it almost feels like you're just reading a catalog rather than something that is meant to be effusive about a particular person. Yeah, and I read, this is jumping ahead, of course, but I did read a review that I didn't include in our final discussions, or won't include today in our final discussions, but that kind of described it as sort of like, it's the history history deserves because history is very fragmented and not as narrative-driven as we would be led to believe in like his so it was this very historical interpretation of like this is the right feeling it is a bit chaotic it is a bit sloppy it is a bit muddled at times but that's kind of it serves its function well and i don't know i i would maybe quibble with that interpretation a little bit seems a little generous but maybe fair and so this maybe you could throw into that pile though if you're interpreting it that way it's like well it is a little indelicate but i don't think his goal is to be super delicate you know yeah yeah but yeah overall i i still think again some of the nicknames he gives and the history he explains and expounds upon that's all interesting and it was it was worth discussion it just it was the only one i wanted to pick from the back half where i felt like i don't know maybe not the right book or why not include like make garincha's chapter you know twice the length and then he can really start to explore some of the the results and impacts he had on the game so yeah what um what did you think of the 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 clip art <laughs> that was included throughout it's funny too because i'm a huge i mean you could probably <clears throat> tell this from the promotions we do with like drawings i'm a huge proponent that books should have art in them like all books all ages every purpose every book ever made <laughs> i just think they mm-hmm. are so complimentary and also it just makes sense let's get some artist paid commissions like it just out everybody wins it seems <laughs> but again yeah. i'm biased so on the whole i really liked it i think that it was was not always effective or something it's also the mm-hmm. case where they did it literally for every page at least almost every yep. page and so you know when you're taking that many swings you're gonna miss a, a few times <laughs> so i you know i appreciated it i chuckled at a few of them and thought like oh that's cute but also it w- didn't like profoundly move me or something yeah i thought that some of the the pictures that were included i i, I was like oh that actually does kind of highlight the the tone that he was going for but then other times i was just like oh that's just that's just another picture of a person kicking a ball but there's nothing great necessarily about it like it's not it wasn't significant enough for me so yeah i think i i liked some of them and some of them i was just like uh i'm I'm, it's like 
<laughs> yeah, no, totally. And that's, I, I suppose when you do an essay collection in this style, so micro, so brief, then yeah, I suppose that um, just kind of is how it goes. Same with the drawings. Uh, let's jump to yeah. your, uh, your first one. Mine is from page 158, and it's called Soccer and the Generals. Mm -hmm. Uh, This piece focuses on the military dictators of South America and their relationships to soccer, how they use soccer as PR stunts to gain favor with the people they were oppressing. And here we have, like, uh, as I mentioned, Galeano seems to have kind of, like, a a liking for lists in some ways, uh, but we do get more of a discussion with this as well. So... Uh, what I liked about this piece was I liked the parallel structure of the soccer is power lines. Um, so I'll just read that really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, soccer is the fatherland. Soccer is power. I am the fatherland, these military dictators were saying. And then at the end it says, soccer is the people. Soccer is power. I am the people, these military dictators were saying. <clears throat> I just thought that was such a nice... And, and for something that's only... Let me see. Uh four paragraphs where two of the paragraphs are just that soccer is sentence uh yeah yeah (laughs) something that's so brief but the the punchiness of those of those sentences and the parallel structure i just thought that was such a nice touch um and and really powerfully done um and and i really like that he Probably my favorite pieces in this collection are the pieces that kind of give me insights into um, uh, South America because, you know, we're so, our education is often just so North American central, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we get maybe little blurbs about what's going on um, in South America in our education, but unless we specialize in it, we really often don't have any idea. Um so I, I, my favorite pieces are when I get glimpses into the culture or into like the history of of South America. And there's like a lot of dictators. So I just pieces like that I I found the most fascinating, especially because he does like such a great job with like showing in his mind how soccer relates to the history of his of the countries that. Well, that he's from in in the countries around, yeah, around him. So I liked that. And I also liked in in this one, too, in the first paragraph, um, there's the the idea of unstoppable, Mm. um, which is another repeating word in this, um, in this, just this one piece. So, like, I like seeing his stylistic... Like, as I mentioned before, he repeats and he lists, but here it's like he lists and he repeats, but it's it's much more purposeful and punchy, I think, the way that he does it. Yeah, it's I think because there's been whole books written about the relationship between soccer and politics and everything. Many, many books. (laughs) Since it's such a popular game globally, people have long tried to understand this, like what it represents and how it relates to other things, et cetera, et cetera. So... Yeah, the, it's his way is just so much more subtle. And then at times, of course, he kind of does shove his way into things, which is important. I mean, you obviously want strong point of view in nonfiction. It's not like I'm saying don't give opinions. But this is a more subtle one for sure. It's well chosen. It's It does a lot of it through the structure and doesn't really condemn anything, you know, but yeah. it also makes it clear there's perhaps some falseness in that. Falsity. Mm-hmm. 
no yeah a good choice i'll I'll throw mine out there then it's somewhat related though not as not as violent or whatever um <laughs> on on 198 there's a passage called stayed and standardized so this is let's talk about some of the philosophies he has about the game itself the playing of the game um this is a good example of a chapter where he, uh, he quotes a lot of interesting quotes <laughs> it's not i don't think his writing in this section is is extremely rememberable, but he just finds the right things to talk about or the right people to quote. So essentially this is his belief about the game. He lays out his primary belief that like the way soccer has gotten worse in his lifetime is that people have become obsessed with winning at any cost. And because Mm -hmm. the game has become globally popular, eventually more economic forces got their hands on it. People have started to min max is the board game expression, but it's like sort of perfect in a way the game and, and teams have started to realize how to streamline things and make it. So it's more about not losing than it is that, than winning um, and part of that is making play really repetitive making it really defensive and very safe and so that's just kind of the the historic historical historical bent of the game has bent in that direction it's again mm-hmm. yeah more repetitive safer more defensive anyway more conservative and he just dislikes this uh that's that's the takeaway right um and there is, again, some decent writing in here by him, but here's the quotes I wanted to talk about because he pulls two really good ones, two really memorable ones. One is when he quotes um, a Chilean player on 199. He says, the Chilean player Carlos Cazelli Cazel- uh, <laughs> made fun of greedy soccer. It's the tactic of the bat, he said, all 11 players hanging from the crossbar, which is just, yeah, a hilarious metaphor, which I really appreciated. And then he said... Um, Oh, at the end, he quote coaches a coaches a coaches quotes a coach. <laughs> he quotes a coach Jorge Valdano, who says, "When you play like that, it's okay to lose." And that he says, "You have the gods within." So essentially, as long as you are creative enough, inventive enough, and fun enough, like it's okay. It's you know you should be comfortable with losing because it's about the beauty of play, not really about the outcomes. Um, which I just thought were two really excellent. You know, there's a kind of a funny little simile in there, and a, also a nice summation of his beliefs. But yeah, it's I think at times throughout this collection, he does find the right person to quote and the right point of view to reflect. And it's just not always about his writing. I know in the first half, especially first part one pod, we spent a lot of time praising his writing and his creativity, which is all here. But it's um, it's also a balance to it. it. It is nonfiction in that sense, too. He's doing a bit of reportage for us. Yeah, this piece actually um, is the one that made me wonder: is was he a journalist by trade? I don't. I think he probably dabbled, but I don't think. I think he was wrote more in this mode, so more personal nonfiction. I don't think he was like a newspaper writer. Okay. Yeah, because the the brevity of his pieces, but also like the the fact that he's so, um, that he is able to integrate quotes really well and to kind of like formulate ideas around a particular quote I, I thought that he would make an excellent journalist anyway yeah <laughs> and in a sentence like this he, he's you know subtle and effective again he says the controlled effectiveness of mechanical repetition enemy of health is making soccer sick and so I think it's just a, a wonderful little twist of the ideas there where it's if you as soon as you mechanize something it becomes you know deadly to it which is quite the opposite image I think most people have in their mind of, Mm -hmm. like, how to make things better, how to make things more efficient, faster. But it's all spiritual to him, or it's, you know, poetic. It's just that you take away... 
yeah, you take away the sort of individualized beauty of things, and that's yeah. that's the sickness. You know, it's a. I think objectively, he would agree that like the players are maybe even more skilled. Uh, there's a quote in there too. I'm just quoting it all at this point, but there's a quote in there too about how players, when players at the end of the game take their shirts off, now they all look the same. You know, which is, I mean, partially <laughs> true, partially not, of course. But like, I get his point, which is just like they're all it's so insanely fit that the science of it, the the way it's been studied and understood, it's like, yeah, everyone is doing their utmost to look just insane. It's the, the you know physically fit to the maximum. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. The. Uh, this piece I think is also it ties in well with the later World Cup pieces where he's just like you can tell like his disdain for like uh, yeah there's like not a whole lot of scoring it's a whole lot of defense and you have like the one person who's being counted on to make the um, to make the goal and stuff and I don't know I, I don't watch soccer I don't play mm-hmm. soccer I have zero knowledge of soccer except you know like the goal is to kick it into the net so <laughs> yeah, no hands. yeah yeah definitely and and that's kind of the beauty of it too it's because it doesn't have the NFL just as a comparison point is so bogged down with rules it's so that you know the rule book is like 500 pages and soccer it's like 10 pages you know it's not that hard to explain all of it is left open to interpretation by the teams the tactics that they deploy and employ like it's anyway yeah so it's that is part of the joy or beauty of the of the game i think mm-hmm. and i guess he yeah. I, it's funny too because i have to look at my own history of watching the sport and maybe it's just because i got into it in the post commercialization era but i do feel like i've you know there's a lot of beauty in it still and I, I think maybe even he would admit it but obviously there's a version of it that's really passed by in his mind right um yeah. how about for your second one Mine is from page 230, and it's called The Sin of Losing, which was right after the um, the, which, the piece called The Duty of Losing. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so this one is Galliano uses soccer to discuss violence in South America and the roles that society, government, and identity play in perpetuating that violence. Um, so in the very first paragraph, and even in the in this title, the sin of losing, and that you get a lot of religious language in the very beginning here. Um, it elevates its divinities and exposes them to the vengeance of the believers, et cetera, et cetera. So this entire mm-hmm. first paragraph is full of <clears throat> religious language, but then at the end of it, we don't get any religious language. The it says. Um, the amnesty report also exposed the role of the Colombian police in social cleanup operations, a euphemism for the systematic extermination of people, disposables in this world that punishes failure. They are the perennial losers. So we, d- we yeah. lose that uh, religious language and instead it's this social act, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting that we begin with something that's so... Uh, Christian related and then at the end it's just a um, he completely erases any uh, religious mention any allusions to Christianity and it's just uh, murder and and stuff and and, and relating it to this idea of like a social order and and a this perfect 
standardized uh, society. So I, I found that really interesting, and and I, I can assume that it was very purposefully done, where it's like the if we take into account the previous selections um, that he's included, he often compares soccer to religion. Yes. It's a religious experience. And so by losing that, by making things more standardized and by erasing um, outliers and things that make it unique, it has lost its religion. He's lost his religious fervor for um, certain aspects of soccer. And, and I think that he's using that as a kind of like subtle translation into the point that he's making where people, <clears throat> these dictators, these murderers are trying to make a standardized, perfect society um, by getting rid of what they view as disposables, outliers, people who do not fit the idea of like the perfect people. Um, and yeah, it's the sterilizing. Evolu- yeah, the evolution of the language in this one is is good in that sense too, and subtle. I think it reinforces the right points. It's this is also a passage or chapter where he explores some of the social dynamics of things and lays things out pretty clearly. I, yeah. the, the interesting thing is this. So let's take a look at some rhetorical questions on 230. He says, should we blame soccer or should we blame the culture of success and the whole system of power that professional soccer reflects? Soccer is not by nature a violent sport, although at times it has become a vehicle or becomes a vehicle for letting off steam. And then he talks about some countries like um, Colombia where there's a like strong record of violent crime, but then... It's more about the system that does it than the people. But let's just take a look at those first two quotes. And so this is where I start to wonder, is it a matter of degree or is he full-blown kind of contradictory? I wouldn't say hypocritical, but like, for example, in the first half, he he relishes the passion. He relishes the, the fan experience. He relishes the pain. Like he talks about how, you know, brutal people are to the refs and how yeah. like cruel everyone is to the, you know, they're so upset when people lose. But then he does seem to bemoan it here where it's as if it's as if people should care less about winning. But I think he indulges in some of that himself or like, let's put it this way. He loves a creative player and a creative goal. He dedicates more than half of this book to goals. Like, look at this amazing goal that was scored. Well, I mean, the whole point of getting a goal is so that you can win. So it's it's sort right. of like, I don't. It, yeah, in a sense, it's I don't know. It's it's funny. And this is where I think it's an argument maybe of degree. Obviously, winning is if you don't care about winning, that's kind of antithetical to what sports are because they're by definition a competition, you know? And so that's the tough part where it's like, okay, I think he does admire the competitiveness that draws out the creativity. I think what he hates is just that in an effort to maximize the winning, it's diluted some of the things that he liked. But I, I don't know though. Again, I, I could see a reader kind of shrugging at that and thinking like, well, that's a bit contradictory. You can't say you love all these goals and creative moments of brilliance because it's all done in service to scoring and winning. So it's right. You know, that's not like you could just go kick a ball in a park on your own and create beauty. If, if that's what he truly believed. And the other irony or the other, um, I don't know, again, contradiction or hypocrisy Every the whole book is focused on the the professional players in the best leagues and at the highest levels of the sport, right? Including right. the World Cups. It's like he doesn't write a chapter about a 
a pub match he played after work. He d- he doesn't write a chapter about like when he and his buddies formed their own eleven on eleven team and played for a month like it. And so it's I, I don't know. Again, I'm, that's like maybe an unreasonable criticism or expectation, but it is sort of a walk it how you talk it thing. Like why not relish in some of the younger like talk more about like your your nephew's youth team or have you ever like been to a to a you know really like a kids match talk about that like it i don't know it's he's kind of caught up in his own contradiction a bit it's like he wants us to love the game in the most basic ways but spends the whole book on the highest levels of the competition yeah, at the very end, too, he uh, the final images of him locking himself in his office for the final mm-hmm. World Cup to that watch. he writes about. Yeah, just to watch it, and and he yeah. he very much revels in being a spectator, and yeah, nowhere does it really mention that he he himself has ever played. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it, I, again, I don't think he's a hypocrite. I've been using that to just kind of tease out my thoughts and, you know, yeah. see what I think or feel. But I, you mm-hmm. could leverage a type of that criticism, though, just because it he uses the most elite levels of the game to explain the game. And it's like, well, by mm-hmm. doing that, you're kind of implicitly co-signing that, like, that's the, you know, that's the most interesting. And it's like, but... That only happened because people like pushed people into competition and like weeded the rest of the people out. Like I, that's just kind of yeah. how it is. And again, I, I like his arguments about the style. Style is a thing within soccer that has shifted over time so dramatically, and tactics have changed. So it's like all the tactics, creativity, all that. Like I, you know, that, I'm buying all that. I like that. I think that that's his analysis is kind of right on. And so I like those moments. But yeah, anyway, worth bringing up here. He's got complex complex points to make any other thoughts on this one um it's just some of the violence like the discussion of like the the reasons behind the violence and Mm -hmm. stuff it it kind of for me reminded me of um uh jill jill lavoy's um ghetto side yes when we read that no 100 percent. and it's i think obviously different works with different extremely different goals <laughs> but i i did appreciate that he like you said in in the other chapter he gives at least a cursory enough glance at south american political history and everything um various countries various movements and leaderships and moments and so i appreciated it too it's 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 light and cursory but also i think it needed to be in there especially since he clearly has such strong beliefs and things so yeah, hundred uh, percent. Let's jump to one of mine. I think my third and final one, and it's a very brief one. I, f- I figured we had to do one player in the back half, right, or one focus on like a goal or a World Cup moment. And I chose. Ba- it's either Baggio or Baggio, but I'm assuming since it's Italian, there's no way it's Baggio. <laughs> it's got to be Baggio. B a g g i o. It's on two twenty six. Roberto Baggio is an Italian player of the nineteen nineties who just Guyano just admires his play, like so many players. And of course, he spends a few paragraphs talking about his game. This one. I'm just going to read the whole thing, I think, because it's two extremely short paragraphs, but a couple, couple thoughts. This is the quote. In recent years, no one has given Italians better soccer or more to talk about. Roberto Baggio's name is mysterious. His legs, or sorry, his game is mysterious. His legs have a mind of their own. His foot shoots by itself. His eyes see the goals before they happen. Baggio is a big horse tail that flicks away opponents as he flows forward in an elegant wave. Opponents harass him. They bite. They punch him hard. Baggio has Buddha sayings written under his captain's armband. Buddha does not ward off the blows, but he does help suffer them. From his infinite surrender 
Trinity, he also helps Baggio discover the silence that lies beyond the din of cheers and whistles. So I think this might be one of my favorite little player profiles. Excellent writing, very creative, insightful too. Like we get a, just an interesting fact about his Buddhist <laughs> armband or whatever, which I'm assuming is real. Like I, I don't think he makes up facts about players, but um, I, I like the kind of prophecy first paragraph about like he almost is this mechanical godlike knowledge, you know, eye seagulls before they happen. But then immediately to the metaphor with the horse tail, which is very, a very funny and evocative and like, I don't know, it's, it feels kind of silly, but also very grounded, I guess, to me, the the comparison to the horse tail kind of flicking around. And I just think that that sort of transition, that sort of goofy juxtaposition, but um it is, I don't know, what makes some of his writing so pleasurable. It's when you find those little moments. Yeah, I this piece for me, too, really stood out as far as, like, I think the, the stylistic beauty of it. Um, it's just, you can really imagine uh, this guy just kind of, like, flying down the field. And and what I love, too, about that juxtaposition that you mentioned is, like, you get the, you get the spiritual beauty of um, this high-mindedness, but then you you are very much like you're brought back with an allusion to a very majestic animal and and I believe uh, uh, like down in in South America too don't they think of horses as very majestic as well yeah i think so yeah. i mean I, there's very few cultures that would not you know even even as they were used as be used as beasts of burden i think it's most most writing and thinking about horses is uh yeah is very yeah, majestic so- yeah, so even even when it's brought back to the earth with the the animal imagery, it's still the most one of the most majestic animals there. So, still kind of elevated in that way. I, I thought that it was a very beautiful piece. Yeah, yeah, and it's and no no actual focus on like goal scoring, or there's no real specifics about game action, <laughs> which I do think is where his writing let him down a bit. Now, granted. Describing a game's action in words within not video is just so foreign to most modern people. Like we can, we have mm-hmm. such easy access to video that it's for a thing so visual, it's hard to be like, well, I could just go Google these goals. You know, I could just go mm-hmm. look up the video. But I think, and so I think some of the writing interested me least. But this is an example of how he can still give you a very crystal clear sense of a player without needing without needing the video clip, basically. So, I, I like that one. Um, let's wrap with your third and final stopping point here. Which is the final piece in this collection. It's the 2010 World Cup. Yeah. <clears throat> this World Cup was in South Africa. There's lots of discussion about politics, race, violence, and corruption. All his favorites um, to talk about with soccer. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what I picked up on here was um, again the idea of his his repetition, just going more into his style. So, um, at the beginning, so with the World Cup uh, pieces that he includes here, he always begins with kind of a list of of happenings around the world, um, and so it's been pretty like the previous World Cup pieces were just kind of helter-skelter lists. They, they didn't have a unifying necessarily uh, phrase or anything to keep it unified a- across the pieces. Mm-hmm. But then here in this one, he uses the italicized as if phrase um, throughout yeah. 
the it's, beginning, which yeah, it's interesting. I really liked he, it. He spends the whole yeah, he spends the whole book bringing up a lot of the same points. The the Castro joke I think did work for me yeah. in the end. Once you notice it, you start to <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. it becomes more appreciate uh, or I became more appreciative of it once I kind of bought into the the joke of it. But yeah, this is it's an yeah. interesting change that he repeats this in a much different stylistic way. Did you would you think? Yeah, I I liked it. Um, I think that he, he, I mean, obviously he knew that this was going to be his final piece, and so the the as if phrases, I think, offer more of his um, judgment against these mm. particular elements of of culture and of of history. Um, and the the Fidel Castro punchline, like, I mean, what a great way to kind of end that. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> and also it's organized differently so the the last two pieces about the world cup um are are organized similarly in that the paragraphs are broken up with little like asterisks lines between the the pieces mm-hmm. um so it's organized differently from the previous ones and also there's more in the previous world cups it was the beginning was the political framework. Then the rest of it was just like kind of a summary, a very brief summary of mm-hmm. uh, who won, who didn't win, if there were any plays that he wanted to mention. Whereas in this piece, <clears throat> the the plays, the goals are interspersed with even more political discussions about um, the state of affairs with South Africa, the... Um, pointing out certain um, racist actions and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and the fights between, uh, I think it was Italy and France in the airport. Um, stuff like that. Like, yeah, no. I just, I, I found this piece, I was like, oh man, this is way more, for me, I was like, this is way more what I would have appreciated with the other World Cup ones as well. Yeah, it's it does show that when you're writing an essay, that there's a exponential change perhaps between a two page and a eight page you know yeah. <laughs> essay i guess like it it does really let you make a th- and this is maybe our academic brains are just too poisoned with expectation but it's like you can really <laughs> prove a thesis you know you can or at least you know more compellingly convincingly prove a thesis when you have eight pages or something like it just yeah. Yeah. it's hard to argue against it too i agree it's it also allows him to do there's still some he, he does like that parallelism as you mentioned earlier on uh, 266 of of the players on the Ghanaian side of the you know national team not a one played in ghana's national championship of the players on the german side every single one played in germany's national championship like latin america africa exports working hands and working feet so he's, he's very much into this idea of the exploitation sort of that foreign players face because they just get imported into the europe mostly european leagues to play and so you know their own national scene doesn't really grow yeah, it doesn't really have a yep. chance to flourish in local the kind of local specialties, <clears throat> the local, I don't know, creativity, the local expression doesn't have a chance to exist. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I meet him halfway on this. I, I kind of agree, and as you know, in a country 
as ours is, which is trying to grow its national league, like the American Soccer League, you feel very acutely how it's like, well, are we ever going to catch up to England, Spain, Germany, France, Italy's leagues? Like, I, it seems impossible. <laughs> they're they're so ingrained in the structure, power structure. But, you know, you, you make attempts and you see what players you can develop and what other countries you can sort of have players come from. But I do. So it's like I get that point for sure. Mm-hmm. And then again, it's I don't know if there's a does he believe then that and granted, maybe his argument would be, well, once once the big business got hands on it, like this question's irrelevant. But does he really think that every country on Earth can have a flourishing national league? Like, is that I mean, because obviously the people who really love the current setup would say, like, look, there are just aren't that many. There's a lot of great players, but there's not infinite. And so you don't you can't not every country on Earth can have a league that, like, develops players well and creates good soccer and has interesting outcomes and all that. And so it's kind of like we're working with finite resources. Like, of course, some leagues are just going to get more and have better players than others or something. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, but of course, the, uh, the counter he would have is obvious, which is like, yeah, but it's to the point where you don't even have a chance like because it's in these big interests of taking control it's like not even really an argument it doesn't matter if Ghana has a good national league or not like they don't even have a chance that's the the key problem and so yeah I don't know I I, again come away knowing his perspective clearly I don't know fully if he's made you know a in the academic sense like a thesis argument that compelled me it's more just a lot of his writing i enjoyed and and kind of liked his approach but i don't know if the argument again is like long or subtle enough to to convince yeah <clears throat> yeah i i think that he could this is a piece that he could really make into like a giant almost uh not a giant but it could be almost like a novella of mm-hmm of information um and people have i mean people of soccer one of the most written about sports obviously because it's one of the biggest but it's like Mm -hmm. you can easily find books that cover every topic in non-fiction format about soccer i mean just you know take your pick throw at the dartboard whatever metaphor it's you know it's not hard to find these things people have made very long compelling arguments about the importance of it and how the game has changed etc and so i think yeah his book comes off in an interesting way it's it's maybe actually, this feels weird to say, a little less poetry than I wanted. Um, and I, I once again reflect back and think back on the opening maybe 10 or 15 topics that weren't so grounded in history and the facts of history. And I think mm-hmm. like, man, his writing is just so excellent there. It's That's, I think, the best stuff. That's when he is the best <laughs> version of his himself. And so I think also like the ending paragraph of this, which we could talk about too, of this whole book, a couple quotes. He says, I miss the insufferable litany of the Vuvuzelas, the emotion of those goals, injurious to to bad hearts, the beauty of the best plays repeated in slow motion. I miss the celebration in the morning too, because sometimes soccer is a pleasure that hurts and the music of a victory that sets the dead to dancing sounds a lot like the clamorous silence of an empty stadium where one is defeated, unable to move, still sits in the middle of the immense stands alone. And that's his final quote. So... It's, yeah, really beautiful writing and kind of a broad meditation on the the hole it can leave in you, the pain that hurts or the love that hurts sort of a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's really excellent and evocative writing and also just doesn't have anything specific to do with a moment, a political movement, a player's history, a sp- spot in a game or a match. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very, it is a kind of a very jumbled together collection here. I don't, what are your final thoughts on it, or what do you think you're going to remember about <clears throat> it? Um, the pieces that I'll remember the most would be the ones that where I learned, I feel like, the most as far as um, mm-hmm. uh, the South American politics. But stylistically, the pieces that I most appreciated were the ones where it was just language showing his appreciation for a player or about soccer in general and I loved the the referee one where it's like the referee is is yeah. both loved and very much hated and <laughs> those poor those poor buggers <laughs> yeah um and what I I also noticed about this is he bookends uh so everything in the meat of of what he wrote he very much removes himself from it right it's all um third person perspective but the very first piece and at the end here, the last two paragraphs, it's all about him and his relationship to soccer. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked that structure as well um, overall. That is a good point. And maybe that that point, which is better and clearer than my own, is the right one to take away, which is just, I think I liked when he injected himself even more rather than, and he does when he talks about history and players and everything, but it just felt distant in a way and maybe that's just the topic and not the style um but it did feel like and you mentioned this earlier it did feel like sometimes he devolved into listing things which you know there's a style in that of a sort and there's things you can read into there but i just liked when he inserted himself way more directly with his voice and opinions and that last quote i think is evidence of that the image of you know the solitary person and the echoing sound of the stadium and i don't know i just think that was his best writing and it i don't know i don't feel like he got away from it but i will say that I'll remember the opening, what was it, fifth or quarter, (laughs) more than the rest for sure. And so, yeah, anyway, I also think my brain has been poisoned by the existence of video. So it's like when I think of World (laughs) Cup epic, World Cup moments, or like, oh, what does Maradona look like when he played, or what did Cruyff look like? I picture the grainy video footage we have (laughs) of them. So it's like, because I've seen that footage. So it's, that's... My brain will probably not go to his writing for those specific players or moments, and I'll just think of how he kind of philosophically approached the game. Anyway, um, let's do our ending segments then. Those are the ones we wanted to discuss. Our final segments today, we've got two of them. We always do in Book Club Part 2s. We'll start with our critical assistance segment. This is when we each pull a bit of criticism or outside thought about the work. Usually, these are online articles or essays and things, though sometimes we pull from other sources as well. It looks like we both did essays this week. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Excellent. Um, Let's do yours first, I suppose. I don't know why I'm saying that, but let's do it. (laughs) What what, would you bring for consideration? Uh, mine is from SB Nation, and it's called Looking Back at Eduardo Galliano's Masterpiece, Soccer and Sun and Shadow, mm-hmm. by Andy Thomas. Um, so overall, he was uh, a fan of, of this collection. So mm-hmm. um, a couple of quotes that I pulled. There are many good books about football. There are few that have claims to greatness. Published 20 years ago, because this was, I think, written in 2014. All right. Um, published 20 years ago, Soccer and Sun and Shadow, whose author, the Uruguayan uh, writer Eduardo Galeano, died Monday at the age of 74, stands among those few, and even those who might quibble with such status would have to agree that there really isn't anything to argue about. Even if you don't enjoy it, there's nothing else like it. Hmm. <clears throat> and I thought that was a really good point. Like, I've, I've never read anything else like this. I mean, I obviously, I've not read every single book 
<clears throat> in the world. So, I mean, there could be something similar to it with a different sport, mm-hmm. for all I know. But but this is like an introduction to me to soccer, and, and what a beautiful way to do it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think that it is unique in a lot of ways. So Definitely. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint anything. Actually, it's funny. Uh, this is a spoiler about our recording order, <laughs> but I actually think I have an insanely good comparison for our book recommendation episode coming up. So, so th- I do think there is something that is kind of like this, but it is, um, I'll give this spoiler. It's not a book actually. So anyway, ah. so, but yes, there, it is unique. Um, then he goes on to say, it is at heart, a history book, one that takes as a subject, the whole broad sweep of the game. But what sets Sun and Shadow apart isn't just its scope, ambitious as that is. Galliano and his long-term translator, Mark Fried, brings powerful lyrical prose to the game and to the history of the game, a stylistic swagger and confidence that is lacking from everyday football writing. After a diet of the analytical and the sardonic, it's delightful and almost disconcerting to gorge on these crackling polemics and shameless love letters. So, again, I'm not really familiar with, like, writings about soccer, so I I don't know how accurate it is to say that, um, generally speaking, soccer language is pretty dry. But um, I did love the the crackling polemics and shameless love letters. He definitely does show his love for soccer. I think that that definitely came through, especially in the first quarter <laughs> of those mm-hmm. pieces and, and the lamentation at the end there of like how the game has changed, not for the better. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with most of that. No, hundred percent. I think crackling might be the best adjective though. I just, I just wish I felt that way about the whole thing. And I, I don't know if my, this lamentation will just keep coming up today, but it does feel like it was, you know, 60% of what I loved. And then 40% I felt like, huh, that doesn't, there just isn't any crackle to it, but I, I do like that description. Yeah. Um, and then he says, it is endly quotable. It is also insistent and clear-eyed in its politics. Though Galliano dreamed of being a footballer when younger, he ended up a radical author, poet, journalist, and analyst. Oh, he was a journalist. Yeah. His works bent genre and form. While much of the book is devoted to the joyous and the magical, he never shies away from the myriad dark places, from the corruption and the cynicism. Sun and Shadow, after all, and while some reviewers viewed his swipes as heavy-handed, it's hard not to love a writer who can wonder if God had time for soccer, how many directors would remain alive and not sound ridiculous in the process. So I found it interesting that some reviewers would call him heavy-handed. I don't... I don't know if that if I would call him necessarily heavy-handed, in, in in the sense of like the politics and stuff. Uh, to me, the hand feels heavier when the other hand doesn't do any work or something. That's a weird metaphor, but it's like mm-hmm. he only ever has one point of view, and he's only ever going to analyze issues from one point of view. Which, uh, again, when you approach certain types of nonfiction, it's like, well, yeah, that's the point. I want to hear his point of view, but it, right. it's not a very thorough thing. That's what I guess I would say. Is it's not very. Maradona is an interesting example like he pretty quickly backs away from some of Maradona's personal problems even though he does describe him as like devastated or destroyed or sort of like it took his soul away but it's pretty light in terms of facts whereas in Maradona's actual life there's like a lot more controversy than he let on about (laughs) and so it's like yeah even if you admire Maradona and the way he played 
like the way he lived his life, the battles he fought, the things he did or didn't do. Again, a lot of that is is there's definitely things Maradona was correct to fight, but then there's like a lot of foibles and like really egregious things he did in his life too. So it's that's the kind of thing where you look at it and think there's nothing wrong with interpreting Maradona's life in that sense, but to ignore certain things either just feels, you know, that's like bad journalism. Again, he's just not really doing journalism per se. He's doing history, but it is very slanted. So yeah, I, I agree. It's not heavy handed, but there's also some definite absences where it's like the other hand should be, should balance this a bit. <laughs> we can't cut all facts that we want to cut. So yeah. Any um, other quotes from that one? And the, the the final thing is uh, to describe this as a perfect book would be inaccurate, but it would also be irrelevant. <clears throat> it is a mess. It is deliberately a mess. A cavalcade of diversions and tangents and idle thoughts and musings and eulogies and excoriations and laments. But not all are memorable, perhaps not all are necessary, but it all amounts up to something unique, righteous, and quite beautiful. History by turn as jumbled memory, as fractured story, as furious broadside, as hazy dream, and occasionally even as joke. I liked that final paragraph because I was like, you know what? It is kind of like a big mess, and I think that he meant for it to be a mess. It's not supposed to... I mean, it's chronological, right? But it's not necessarily linear because he does meander and kind of like zigzag in a lot of his pieces and... and Mm -hmm structurally i liked that yeah what does it say when something is chronological but also i'm a hundred percent confident you could flip to any random page and just understand (laughs) or you know like just read it and pick it up and not have issues comprehending the whole so it's like yeah no it's it is interesting i like some of the haziness of it the hazy dream as they say it does kind of feel that way that he And I think that was the quote, maybe I was thinking of your quote when I said that earlier, but it's just that if history itself is this kind of fractured, wonderful mess that people try and make sense of, this maybe is emblematic of that or is the right sort of structure for it. So, yeah, definitely. Okay. I like it. That was a good review, actually. That was strong writing. I don't know. Andy Thomas wrote it. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. That was a good piece. Um, let's talk about mine. It is an interview, actually, from Five Books, a website that I try and plug all the time. Not a sponsor, just a website I love. <laughs> it's a simple nonprofit website that interviews experts and then tries to get five books from them about a topic. So it's kind of like expert recommendations. I've picked more than one of our books because of Five Books. So <laughs> that's a bit of a peek behind my process. First quote is about the book in sort of the South African World Cup. It says, and the very first sentence of the novel, or the book, sorry, not novel, is the history of football is a sad voyage from beauty to duty. What Guyano means is that sport as play has been lost as an idea in Western capitalist culture. Sport is now competition and sport is consumable. The World Cup in South Africa will be a spectacle, something for consumption. And then later in the paragraph, he says, in South African culture, football has been very important a place of everyday interaction but that element will be lost the tournament could really be held anywhere you wouldn't especially know that it's in south africa which as a summary i think does actually capture guyana's perspective pretty well i know he's not quoting him in those thoughts but i think he is pretty well summarizing the issues that guyana would have with the game which is just that you know yeah western capitalism has consumed it it's made it efficient and about competition and not about joy or creativity or fun it's people don't relate to the game anymore i think 
is an interesting thing to think about maybe for a different pod but when people think of sports now they almost always think of watching professionalized versions not playing so it's sport is such a weird thing because obviously the whole point of sport is just like have fun playing but no one plays really much (laughs) or it's kind of like we let kids play but then adults even though many adults are obsessed with sports they don't play them anymore which is such a weird thing to think about which is i don't know that's its own topic for another time or whatever and there could be some political economic analyses of that like he talks about but i think the final sentence the tournament could be held anywhere you wouldn't especially notice in south africa this is something that, again, it's like I wish he had written more Guyano about the that World Cup because the broadcasts desperately try and make it so, though. Like, they do, I mean, granted, maybe you're, the point we'd make is, and they'll never be able to accomplish this, but they, you know, how many aerial shots of the unique cities can they do? How many profiles about local cuisine and culture and, like, they interview people and they try and get people, it's like they try and do special pieces about people who live in that country and they, it's like they try, <laughs> really hard but i guess in the end you are just playing this now globalized game featuring many players who are interchangeably you know the same and there's not much regionality to the style anymore and all of that so it's like i don't know it's interesting i that's where a deeper more thorough analysis of the way the world cup is presented to us would be interesting from him we we don't really get it though and so that's the unfortunate thing i guess yeah next quote here Um, But in this book, he argues that the idea of play as a philosophy in sport is very important to humanity, and it gets minimized or cheapened when sports get commodified. I think that's what Guyano means. He's looking for playfulness in soccer. He's looking for a beauty in it. And when we only focus on the elite in the very upper levels of the game, you miss some of that, the beauty of the shadow, the hidden part. Soccer is played all day, all over the world, in much more extraordinary circumstances than you'll see at the World Cup. That's what he's trying to capture or recapture. Um... So, and then he does say, although the odd thing is that he writes about the World Cup every four years and updates this book. So here's the, here's the weird thing about this. Like, again, the quotes are true, but if that's what Mm -hmm. he's tried to do, then his whole, again, structure is kind of letting him down because he only writes about elite. That's, he only writes about the world's most well-known players, the most, the highest levels of the competition and only about the whole book is structured around World Cups and World Cup goals. And so yeah. I, I, I think that's where it's like the politics part serves him well then because he's trying to sort of list out and categorize like what's going on in the world and how can we make sense of it through soccer. But then also, yeah, if, if it's just a beauty of the game thing and just a broad approach to like what's wonderful about play, I don't – it's just such an odd pick then because it's like, well, we don't have to look at the World Cup then, man. Like – We'll go walk around the city you live in in Uruguay and like tell me about the kids on the street. Tell me about the local game at the park. You so like tell. But again, I, I don't know. Maybe that's editor brain doing that to, and like having that critique. But it is. I don't know. I do think it creates at least a slight bit of conflict in me when I read this. I think that's a valid point, though. Uh, uh, the reason when you asked me what I would take away from this um, this reading is, I, I said the politics and stuff is because that's what everything seems to be kind of centered around not so much i mean at the very beginning yeah we talked about how the 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 sheer joy and appreciation for aspects of the game which then after after that like i mean halfway through the first part in that we read it was it suddenly turned to the politics and stuff and i thought that that was the real purpose even the even the the title of the book, right? Soccer and Sun and Shadow. Um, it is meant to be, I think, 
the the negatives as well as the positives of it, but not so much about, I felt like, about the, the gameplay and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just the politics for me are, are the the whole focus of this and, and that's what he wrote about and that's yeah. why he wrote about the the big wig stuff. And it's also why I, I finished the book and my brain just goes, there have been just so many long form things written about soccer and politics. I just don't know if this is the one for it. It's instead the poetry, you know, the small moments of the game, the play and the opening chapters do it best, I think. And that's also, to, to be said, given the quote here, especially from this person's point of view, that's why I jumped on it so early. It's like, before he starts writing about World Cups, it, he's the best version of himself just as a writer, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah. once he jumps into, like, I'm just going to kind of summarize the history of these World Cup goals, it's like, eh, I think that's when his writing is, like, less memorable, frankly. So final quote from this one. All his work is written in what in Latin America is called the either chronisa or chronica form anyway a word i can't pronounce again which are very short (laughs) episodes he has great credibility because of course uruguay hosted the first world cup and won the first world cup and so he reaches back to those kinds of memories i suppose maybe in the way of nostalgia things always seem sweeter and more innocent and more playful looking back but i think he's probably right in some sense his books were the first that i read when i started writing about soccer and they influenced me to look elsewhere i'm not interested in the big matches i like seeing how people play soccer every day Day. So, again, an interesting little, not contradictory quote, but it, he says the inspiration made him think, like, outside of big matches. This is a book of big matches, though. That's what, yeah. I, I just keep coming back to this point. I can't, like, I can't peel it off of my brain because before he starts writing about just World Cup history, he has some of his most excellent writing and insight and creativity and everything. And, and that stuff doesn't go away in the book, but I just think it really does shift the tone and the way he the amount he dedicates to just giving facts and catching us up versus just kind of exploring the beauty of things and the poetry of it. And so I just found that such an odd inspiration because it's like, well, it'd be strange, I think, for a neutral or like non-soccer reader to read this. And then I ask like, what was it about? I'd be stunned if they didn't talk about the World Cup first because it's the book is 75% the history of World Cup and World Cup goals. Like, that's the You're book. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, huh. I I also think, here, you want to do some editor brain stuff? This is how I know yeah. that the college essay editing has broken me forever. Always, <laughs> always looking for other ways to write something. <laughs> but it's like, what if he had taken his stylistic approach and just wrote about the city in Uruguay he lives in? Or maybe he followed Ooh. the Uruguayan League for one year, highs and lows, big teams, small teams. This is something that currently, like on Netflix or Amazon, I forget which networks have it. But like, there are shows now that follow like mediocre teams or mid-level teams or kind of like, here's a small team. Let's follow their fan culture. Let's see what kind of people obsess over the team and it's that's when you get into really interesting little pockets and neat people and creative you know like approaches to loving the game and it's not so commercialized right it's more of a local dedication but he just doesn't commit to doing that it's odd (laughs) Um, now granted again I think his big argument to that would be well my point is I think he would say his point is the World Cup didn't used to be so commercialized like there was a big change in the 80s 90s maybe 70s a bit but also you're still analyzing it from the highest levels where players are still like plucked and promoted and you still it's all about you know playing these really i still think it's all about winning at the highest levels i just find that such an odd claim to be like no soccer used to be not about winning it's like well they kept score and fans were still fanatics like it doesn't i don't get that 
to a degree. <laughs> and so I just mm-hmm. think there's other ways you could write a book like this and revel in the writing and revel in the poetry that, and that wouldn't be so influenced by just, well, let's do every major event in order. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So I, I, not that I'm not obviously believing the interview, but I just think some of the takeaways are intriguing and feel a bit slanted in a way where I'm like, huh, I don't think every reader would, again, coming out of this book would summarize it quite the same way. Yeah, I know I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it, the the final line's like, I like seeing how people play soccer every day. Th- this book doesn't. <laughs> this book wants to know how people play in the World Cup. Like, I don't get to, uh, this book does not, again, feature like, go ahead and follow a kid's team for two months and then write about it. I, I don't know. Um, anyway, small small plug, by the way, if you want a deep cut. There was a website that used to exist, a sports writing website called Grantland, and they had a writer who they paid. It just changed my perspective of sports writing forever. They had a writer who they paid who was a middle school football coach, and they paid him to, like, to like write about his season as if it were, like, a professional thing. <laughs> and it, oh. it, like, it was just endlessly funny to me. It was, like, one of the great <laughs> great little finds of, of my sports writing career, you know, reading, rather, reading, writing career, where it's just like, ah, what a clever idea. And also, you just get such hilarious, because su- it's such a mess in middle school sports where insane yeah. things happen and it's unpredictable and chaotic as hell. And, and so you just get such joy out of that, too. But it's like, I don't mm-hmm. know, again, editor brain, but it's like, well, do something like that then. Revel in the actual, like, creative creative sloppy appreciation like leave the professional leagues for a bit then if you if it helps yeah. <laughs> anyway um so that's my final thought on that interview also the person interviewed there i should have said was john turnbull who's a soccer writer so that was it's the five uh, books yeah. interview with john turnbull i just didn't give him credit all right final segment of the day then we'll always end and always do with our lightly literary hall of fame this is when we each induct some element of the book or the work into the hall of fame whether we loved it or didn't i think we both like this one so shouldn't be too yeah. hard to pick yeah but i would say both of us a medium high level of enjoyment here um i'll put mine in first then because it's es- esoteric so i might have to explain it i like see, this is the thing i'm gonna have to contradict everything i've said here i like the overall organization <laughs> structure or here's what i'll say i don't think world cups were the right choice but i do love this basic approach which is i'm gonna give a very clear overall structure hyper organized extremely obvious what's happening i'm gonna you know move from world cup to world cup and stop along the way for goals it, but then within those, he indulges himself with like poetry and, you know, it's not it's jumping around and you can't quite know what he's going to be fixated on next. And there's these ruminations and reflections. I just like this approach of like make a very clear plan, but then just go wild within the structure of the plan. And so I, I just yep. liked the again, I just don't <clears throat> think with his ultimate goal or philosophy, I, I just don't know if World Cups were the were the move. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't know if that would have been like the overall best way to <laughs> indulge in some of his enjoyment of soccer it makes sense again like to sell the book and and engage people it's you know global event so i I get it i'm not begrudging the choice and i again i think the overall thing of again make your plan have an outline and stick to it like don't confuse the reader give them a clear sense of what's going on but then within that like yeah go why i mean you're a writer get creative with it get weird have some fun similes have some contradictions have some indulgences like I, i enjoyed the balance of it even if at times like the focus didn't work for me. Yeah, I liked the the overall structure. I think it's um, as the the piece that I read for for the <clears throat> reviewer. He you know he points out that it's it's organized, but it's organized chaos. Like mm-hmm. I I really enjoy that, and I and I love it when authors 
kind of play with that with with structure in some ways and, mm-hmm. and i loved his creative his creative side in this so yeah yeah, yeah. I get it. it was cool and how about for your hall of fame Mine is uh, Galliano's intertwining of world politics with soccer. Nice. Again, like this, this might be you know I'm sure other, as you mentioned, other writers have done this before, but I've never experienced it. So yeah, I really appreciated yeah. that, and I think that's something that um, is really at the heart of this writing as well. So and truly, there's no more meaningful test than your thoughts on it because I, my exposure to that kind of writing is I would say medium not high but I've had I've like read a few books like that and have you know when World Cups come around I read critics about it and anyway I've listened to some soccer podcasts so I'm you know I'm, I'm more of like a you know medium high level engagement but your reaction then again is the is the purest then it's like well if you thought it was interesting and informative <laughs> and like and you didn't feel confused or lost like I think mission accomplished then because it's uh, you know, my my goal with picking this anyway was hoping that a non soccer follower could could engage and enjoy. So I'm glad that happened. <laughs> it did. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. The World Cup is in the winter this year for some reason. Well, not for some reason because it's in a insanely hot country, Qatar. So Qatar. Yeah. <laughs> That's they had to move it out of the summer and into the winter, which is just wild. But um, are you going to watch? Um, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. my one of my closest friends lives in Qatar, and so oh, um, yeah. So she's she's there, and and she's actually been watching the 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 stadium getting built and stuff. And and I went over there to visit her, and they had just begun construction on the stadium at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like, I don't know. Maybe just because of 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 my own my friend being in that I watched actually the 2010 World Cup because Korea was in it and it played and they were playing against uh, I think I think they were playing against Japan I don't remember but I was living Mm. in Korea at the time when that was happening and everybody was in city hall in the city hall square watching it and everybody had like little devil horns because Korea's team is called the the devils I think and so and it was like just such a great yeah. sense of community that I really appreciated. So I watched that game. So I've, I've seen one soccer game. <laughs> it is, right. It is unlike any other communal collective event. Yeah. Y- you can also, and you know, in a sense, I think he does approach this and doesn't quite make a thesis of it. But in a sense, it's, cons- well, he kind of does, though. The opiate of the masses whole thing he is kind of that he keeps yeah. coming back to. But it is mm-hmm. it is nationalistic in a way that for some of a certain political bent is concerning, not fun. <laughs> but I don't know. Again, I and even I'm on that kind of side of it. But also, I don't, you can't help but. I think it's the right place to put our national interest, nationalistic urges. That's the thing I like about it. It's like, well, I have a competitive streak in me, so how can that be healthily used and not uh, perhaps right. drone strike used? And so it's like, well, right. I guess I'll just like get passionate about the World Cup, and that's cool. <laughs> I can dump my energies <laughs> into that. No, it is, and it is super unique. There's no other kind of net global. Even the Olympics have lost their momentum, you know? So yeah, it's the yeah. one thing we have left with that level of fervor. Okay. Um, so those are our final thoughts on anything else before we wrap up the book club on this one. Nope. I'm good. Excellent. Yeah. Well said. And, uh, some good, uh, good reviews for us this week. I think that's what I'm happiest with yours, especially was that's some good writing too. And off the radar, we don't do SB nation a lot. I mean, it's a sports <laughs> yeah. blog, so I, that's why, <laughs> but, um, yeah, a good pick. And that's yeah. Final thoughts on soccer and sun and shadow by Eduardo Gallano. 
we've got other books coming up if you stuck with us through this much of the pod we appreciate it as ever thanks for listening in we have been as i mentioned the lightly literary podcast on instagram and facebook under that handle as well so check us out there and follow us on those platforms we've got books as i mentioned coming up in order which amanda will fill you in on what do we got coming up yeah Next up, we have A Good Family by A.H. Kim, which is a novel. Then we have The City and the City by China Mieville, which is a sci-fi fiction, right? Yep, yep. And um, and then we have Pachinko. Uh, so we're going Korean heavy here. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, which is a historical fiction yes. um, novel. Triple novels. See, we tried one nonfiction <clears throat> and we whiplash right back into the... <laughs> we, we immediately switch over back to novel reading, so... Yeah. We just love them so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll have a good... I mean, we're mostly a fiction pod. It's, it's that 70, 75-25% breakdown, so... No, it works well. Um, excellent. Look forward to talking about those. Pachinko, too, if you're going to listen in with us there. It's a TV show now, so that's a connection if you want to make that. It's on Apple, Apple Streaming. And then also it's a bit longer, so if people want to get out ahead of that and start reading in advance, like, I mean, that'll be obviously four weeks from when you're listening to this so you got a while but yeah that's just a longer novel than we've done so keep an eye out for that thanks as always as i said for listening all the way through we appreciate it and until next time we'll see you between the pages <laughs>